you started to say, oh, so we're going to talk about G. And I'm like, wait, 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 we need to hit record. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. we are talking about G. And I think I know what, oh, actually, okay, there's lots of Gs that just flash before my eyes that I'm like, yeah, it could be this, are, it could be that. So There are G? a lot of Gs, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, we are uh, talking about the big one, the big G. Capital G. Um, capital G. Okay. Uh, okay. Which is actually how some people refer to it, is capital mm-hmm. G. Yeah. Um, because there's another G that's in the physics news these days, and that's what I thought you were going to talk about. But no, it's the the capital G G. Yeah, this not the one G factor, not the G factor. No, right. This one is slightly in the news, um, a little bit. Not the news, I wouldn't say, but like you know, uh, physics background mm-hmm. news. You know, you're not going to see it on CNN or anything. Right. I I kind of want to talk about. Uh, like a few things. There's kind of a lot that that's going to be tied into this, um, but it's going to be viewed through the lens of of Big G. And the things I kind of want to talk about are uh, kind of the practice of science. Mm-hmm. Um, what is like measurement a little bit, um, and this this slightly this concept of. Uh, it's a teaching concept that um, my girlfriend Dana has taught me uh, called low bar, high ceiling. Um, and I'm going to kind of try to wrap all this together in some cool. coherent fashion a little bit. Um, so the the thing I want to talk about is kind of the controversy, quote unquote, behind Big G. Um, so are you aware of any controversy around <laughs> Big G? No. I, I can't. <laughs> what does it mean to have a controversy around Big G? But let's, yeah, let's yeah. hear it. <laughs> yeah, it's not really. I would call it a controversy. Um, but it Maybe is before before we get into controversies about it. What is it? Yeah. So th- this is the, oh, what is Big G in the first place? Yes. Yeah. All right, that's a good good thing. Um, <laughs> Just sure, so we're on, so, on the same page. Yeah. So it's uh, we call it Newton's gravitational constant, um, mm-hmm. but Newton actually didn't create big G um, it, it just as a historical background because uh, apparently in his time they weren't really equations weren't written how we write them now they were all like ratios so mm. you didn't really have to worry about uh, big G because um, it was just it was a it's a constant of proportionality so like they didn't care yeah um, so he didn't actually come up with it I, I forget who actually did coin it there's I think there's been a couple people throughout history before it was solidified as big G but basically we all well we know Newton's law of gravity right says that in in words that any two objects are attracted to each other proportional, to some constant and proportional to their mass over their distance between the two objects squared. Uh, you know, and mathematically, I guess we're used to saying that as big G is the proportionality constant times mm-hmm. M1 times M2, the two masses divided by R squared. Got it. So like Earth is M1 and the moon's mass is M2 and then divide that by the distance between them squared. That's a number, but it's not a force yet until you bring in that constant G. Yeah, that turns that turns those numbers into which are kilogram times kilogram divided by meters squared. That's not a unit of force. So to get it into units of force, we scale it by this factor of G. So we can compare the strength of gravity to the strength of like a spring or something like that, and they're both the correct units of force, which yeah. are newtons. Yeah, and the thing about G. Is it's very small. It's a pretty small constant. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not the smallest constant, but um, quite quite small. Um, what is it? it let's is, do just SI units. Yeah. So roughly, it's six point six seven uh, times ten to the negative eleven. Uh, what would it be? I'm not sure the exact units on off the top of my mm-hmm. head. Yeah. Whatever you need to multiply to get kilograms <laughs> squared over meters squared to be. So it's like what, like meters, meters cubed, I think. Yeah, meters or cubed over. divided by kilograms second squared. I'm looking, I'm looking, I just quickly looked it up. <laughs> I don't know that off the top of my head. <laughs> oh, you know what? I'm looking at, there's literally a chart in front of me that tells oh, me yeah, meters go. cubed divided by kilograms uh, divided by second squared. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, something it's six point six seven times ten to the minus eleven in SI units to get the the units right. Tiny, a tiny yeah. number. Yeah, and so the reason I didn't, I, I stopped. You know, I just said six point six seven. This is this is kind of the root of the controversy. Is uh, I'm going to post a little thing in Slack for you to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, is it's G is actually our least known universal constant. I guess one thing I should say is G is a universal constant, or we think it is, right? It, it's it's one of these numbers like mass of an electron or um, Avogadro's number, uh, magnetic constant, the G factor you were talking about earlier. It's like one of the fine structure constant. It's one of these like constants of the universe. Mm-hmm. And it's actually the first one, I believe, that we've ever measured. It was the very first one. And we did that in 1798. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Yet it is the one that we still know the least precisely. <laughs> the first one we measured, we know we barely know it. So I just sent Derek a, a um, picture on Slack from a paper. Uh, we can uh, uh, share it in the show notes. But basically, mm-hmm. it's a list of quantities, uh, constants, and it has all of their uh, uncertainties listed. So like the speed of light, that's an exact number because the way we have defined our units. Mm-hmm. Magnetic constant, exact number. Um, so yeah, it's the, the, un, the relative uncertainties is like the uncertainty divided by the actual number. So like, yeah, some of those, there is no uncertainty because we've defined those constants to be what they are. So yeah. uncertainty is zero. And then other ones really like, yeah, Planck's constant, we know out to a certain number and then it's not then it's uncertain after that so like what's the ratio of the uncertainty to the number itself yeah exactly and so that's what this table is looking at and if you look at it so you can you kind of think of it when when you look at this stuff up a lot they kind of talk about it in sort of a percentage uh except it's much smaller than a percentage, which is you know over a hundred so they typically talk about things in parts per million or parts per billion um which would be instead of dividing by a hundred, you divide by a million or a billion. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, but that being said, the like the Rydberg constant is uh, a factor of t- ten to the negative twelve. Like, so we know it very, very precisely. That's like five in one trillion, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and if you go down this this table, you'll see it's like to the minus 10, to the minus 10, to the minus 8, to the minus 7. And then you get to uh, the Newtonian constant of gravitation. And you see in 2010, it was minus 4. And mm-hmm. in 2014, it was minus 5. I think it's still minus 5 now. And 2018 was the last time they updated it. Yeah, so they're improving on like experimental results to get that uncertainty lower and lower. And so, yeah, it's like right now, well, if it's 10 to the minus 5, that's one part in 10,000-ish, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's bad in terms of physical constants. We want to know them to more than one part in 10,000 if we're basing like physical theories on it. Like how strong is gravity? We don't know to one part in 10,000. That's not great. Yeah. And I think these are a little outdated. Like you said, it ended at 2014. And I just said the H1 Planck's constant. And I think we've now fixed Planck's constant. Just like we used to have, yeah, like the top ones that are, are exact. I think some of the other ones are now exact. Yeah. With so the this, redefinition this- of units. This paper that I'm going through is was written in 20. Well, I think it came out. Let me let me just check. Uh, okay, it came out in July 2020, but it's it's kind of referencing things pre 2018. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So in 2019, we redefined a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, like Planck's exactly. constant. So anyway, yes, just wanted to highlight that point. Yeah, but the concepts <laughs> are changed. still there. Right. And so, gravity, the Newtonian one down at the bottom of the list is not great. Yeah. And so that's slightly the controversy is mm-hmm. is it's not just uh, that we don't know it very well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that we we have values of it. Many people have measured it and we have values of it that disagree. Mm-hmm. Um. So it's, you know, we have values, not that just disagree, but that are mutually exclusive. And we'll we'll talk about more about what that means in a minute. But I kind of want to get to how I kind of stumbled upon this. Because there's a slightly interesting um, 
paper that I read as well um, that will kind of lead us into how G's measured a little bit, and then we'll kind of come back to the controversy. So this all started for me um, from a paper that was in Nature that came out of uh, uh, the University of uh, Vienna um, from, let's see, uh, Tobias Westfall, Hans Hapak, uh, Jeremiah Faf. I'm very sorry for mispronouncing all of your names, Marcus Aspelmeyer were the four authors. And what they managed to do is they measured, um, uh, they were able to detect a gravitational attraction between two 90 milligram BBs. And that, that out of context, maybe that sounds like nothing like, like, okay, why is that <laughs> interesting? Um, and so to kind of put it in perspective, uh, the forces that they were measuring, uh, like the, the expected force between two 90 milligram BBs, about they're about 2.5 millimeters apart, what is about uh, nine times 10 to the minus 14 Newtons. So, you know, tiny, tiny, tiny force. Mm-hmm. Uh, to give you, you know, a comparison, I think we should, I want to start doing more comparisons to real life. The force, the weight of a red blood cell, the, uh, the mass of red blood cell is about 27 picograms, according to a quick Google search. So, you know, take that semi mm-hmm. with a grain of salt. But the the force, if you were to put that on a scale and, and measure its its uh, weight in newtons, is 2.7 times 10 to the minus 13. So they're they're detecting a force that is less than the force between a blood cell and the earth. Right. Um, another way to think about this uh, that I thought was interesting too is, uh, you know, we're still in uh, a pandemic slightly, hopefully coming to the end of it, but we've all had to stand six feet or two meters apart from each other. Mm-hmm. So the force between two average 62 kilogram human beings, which is, I guess, the world average mass for a human being, um, standing two meters apart is 6.4 times 10 to the minus eight Newtons. So <laughs> quite like, a bit more. <laughs> yeah. So you, you feel that force just standing like, well, you, you don't register that, that force, but like it's, it's present. There. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so like, that's how small this is, is it, is it's, you know, six orders of magnitudes, a million times smaller than the force you feel standing next to your friend two meters apart. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just incredibly Small forces. It was kind of like I was a little amazed at the fact that they were um, able to do this. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way that they did it is they kind of did a modified Cavendish experiment. Um, so to to say to explain that a little bit, as I said, you know, uh, uh, well, I guess let me let me try and rope you in a little bit. Do you remember Cavendish and his experiment? I do. Yeah. There used to be an example of it in our physics lab, one of the setups. I think students used to do that in that lab class at Santa Rosa Junior College. Not anymore. But yeah, they had a, a demo one setup. I think I did it actually at some point in my physics career. Do you want to explain it? Yeah. From what I remember, it's um, you hang from a very fine thread or like fishing line, uh, very massive objects, kind of like on a balance, kind of like imagine a dumbbell, like an old cartoon dumbbell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Two, two like, massive spheres on either end of it, right? Yeah, and it's it's hung balanced by this thread in the middle. And then that dumbbell is free to rotate around, around the thread that's holding it up. And the, the way to get it to rotate is to uh, put other masses on either side of the dumbbell. Like, uh, as imagine they were magnets instead of gravity. Put magnets in place that would get that thing to rotate around the thread but they're not magnets. They're literally only just massive objects. And the gravitational attraction would cause the dumbbell to twist. And uh, the thread itself would allow it to twist a little bit. And you measure how much it twists, and you work out the physics required to get that twisting to happen. And from what I remember, you set up a laser at some point with a mirror in the middle of the thread. And the laser is projected very far away because the amount of twisting is tiny. But you can amplify it by having a laser reflected on like a back wall of a room that's like 
a hundred feet away or something. And then if that laser position on the wall moved, you know, two feet, then you can work out the the triangle and see how much it actually w- rotated around the thread and work out the torsion of the thread, I think, work out the force and figure out how strong gravity has to be. Yeah. That's what I remember about it. Yeah. So that that's that's pretty much it. Uh, just a, a slightly different way, maybe I want to see if, cause it's hard to imagine. So I, I want to see if I can like get the viewers to imagine it a little bit is like, if you were to imagine sticking your fists straight out 90 degrees to your, uh, torso mm-hmm. and just holding them out where your two fists are would be the two masses hanging from the thread. Um, and you bring masses close, uh, to your fists, one in front of you and one behind you on opposite Fists, so like your right fist would have a little mass in front of it or a mass in front of it, and your left fist would have a mass behind it. And then the gravitational attraction will cause you to rotate. Uh, so your right fist and your left fist both go towards the mass. So you turn your body when you do that. Mm-hmm. And then if you imagined a mirror on your chest and you shine a laser at that mirror and bounce it off, that's kind of that's the mirror that you were talking about, and then you can see where it hits the wall. Will tell you kind of where your chest is facing. Yeah, um, and it's it's such a tiny amount of twisting that yeah, it's. I remember setting it up, and I think we had to wait a week for it to like settle, and then we could do the experiment. <laughs> it's like yeah, it was like everyone on our floor in that physics building knew that the experiment, the Cavendish experiment, was happening that week, and we're not supposed to slam doors because any like stomping of feet or closing of doors too hard would twist the wire a little bit and mess up the whole experiment. (laughs) Yeah. Very sensitive. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, Cavendish didn't have lasers and stuff and he actually didn't design the experiment. He, he performed the experiment, but, um, someone else designed it, but died before, uh, they were Mm -hmm. able to do it. So Cavendish only did the measurement part of it, but he did this in 1798. So no lasers or anything, but, Mm -hmm. um, got a fairly decent value. Um, uh, I don't have it off the top of my head here, but uh, you know, six point, I think it was 6.7 or 6.6 something uh, times 10 to the minus 11. But well, I should say also Cavendish didn't actually measure G either. Uh, he measured the density of the earth was mm-hmm. his goal. And then from, from that you can actually back out what G would be. So we did that later. Okay. Um, but so you can figure out what his G value would have been given the numbers that he did measure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't, wasn't too far off from what we know it to be today. So this group pretty much used the same apparatus. In fact, not all, but many of the measurements since 1798 have basically used this torsion balance mm-hmm. to do it. And, and the reason this is so good, right, is, is it takes the earth out of the equation. Like right. the earth, earth isn't pulling on anything. It's only the, the, the horizontal forces. You get right. rid of the, the vertical forces. So that's why it's a good design. It's clever. Um, so what this group did is, is it's kind of great. I love it is, uh, we had to modernize it. So this is kind of, I think this is what I wanted to talk about a little bit with this concept of low bar, high ceiling. And it's, it's a teaching concept that basically says that, if you uh, like a, a good question, I guess, or a good activity for students to do to engage in, is one where anyone can enter the the engagement of it. Like it's not hard to understand conceptually what's happening, but you can go as high with it as you want. So it has a very low bar to entry, mm-hmm. but. It, it goes, you know, high ceiling means it just keeps going up and up. You can get more and more and more and more complex. And um, just like you said, like you you had people doing uh, the Cavendish experiment. We have it at UCSB. Um, but the ones that we do is very, it's, it's much closer to what Cavendish did than what people are doing now. It's just, it kind of blows my mind how such a simple concept this is, but how detailed they've had to get to try and measure this number more accurately. Mm-hmm. Um, so what this group did is, uh, so they, they, they build the Cavendish apparatus. There's a whole like 
subfield study, not subfield, that's probably not the word. This is like a, a subgroup of people who study just the the wire that you're hanging from. You know, you said like a fishing line or a thread. Mm-hmm. Well, there's people that have studied all the material properties of this thread to get the maximum, like like you want a good Q factor um, in making this measurement. And like the higher your Q, the the more precise your measurement can be. So there's been people trying to figure out the best way to do it to... to Q- Q is like the spring constant of the thread. Is that what you mean by Q? Or no, is it's it like like, the, a, like a quality factor okay. for the uh, harmonic oscillator type of thing? Uh, like um, a resonance thing, like how sharp the resonance peak is. Yeah, um, I think it's roughly that, um, and uh, I think it's related slightly to the spring concept, but also like the physical dimensions mm. of it and that sort of thing. Um, but. Uh, so they like they've studied how that works. They um, they so obviously I think one of the first things you might do is put it in a vacuum chamber, right? So you don't have air hitting anything. Um, but so that that those those two things will help already. But the reason G is so hard to measure, no matter what you do, is twofold. Is one is its gravity is the weakest force by a long shot, like like severely weaker than the electromagnetic force. And I guess I don't think the strong and, and weak forces really come into play. But it, it, the, its relative strength to the electromagnetic force is, is it's like almost negligible. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means if you have any like small amount of charge just sitting around somewhere on your apparatus, it's going to throw off your results. Um, so, like to mitigate this, they do things like that. This this group uses a uh, ionized nitrogen to remove excess charge. I don't know that exact process, but one thing I think that was that's kind of unique here is uh, this technique that they use was actually developed for the interferometers for gravitational uh, detector, gravitational wave detectors. So that's funny you say that. <laughs> I was like, isn't there a way to use the new like LIGO stuff to figure out G better? But I guess they're kind of related already through that. Yeah, but not, there, not there quite might directly. Be. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, so they're already related. I I just think that that's that's awesome that like we had to do this huge project with this incredible. I, mean, I think that's why we need to fund these huge projects is because we get little bits of science and knowledge and stuff mm-hmm. from doing these things that we can apply to other things like right. just measuring G. Um, and so, uh, so they, they do that ionized nitrogen to like remove as much charge as possible. They put a little Faraday shield between the, the, uh, test mass and the source mass or the, what the two masses are called. Um, and to you know isolate it from um, from electrical fields, uh, they so you might think, okay, cool, that seems like like everything, right? Okay, well, no, you still have to worry about like magnetic fields, right? So you want to make sure the materials that you're using aren't magnetic, that they have no permanent magnets to them, that they're not going to respond to the Earth's magnetic field, uh, that. Uh, the, the the magnetic field won't magnetize the Earth's magnetic field won't magnetize anything over time. Um, so they 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 take into account all of those things, trying to figure out okay how can we minimize that, make sure we use materials like titanium and gold that don't really have a permanent magnet. Then it gets even crazier. Okay, so it's like okay we got rid of all that. Now we the thing it's at, at the point where like they actually have to care about like the purity and the structure of the mass itself. Like mm-hmm. uh, uh, NIST measured this in um, uh, I forget what year, like early two thousands, and a group um, in France measured it. BIPM, which is kind of like the NIST of Europe, I think, or at least of France, um, and. They part of uh, so B, BIPM measured it. They sent. They said, "Okay, we're going to do it, and we're going to send it to NIST, and they're going to do it, and we're going to compare, see what we get." And one of the apparatus that they had to send was this giant granite slab that had so to reduce uh, vibrations, I think, a little bit, and then this very fine, uh, uh, like contact 
distance measuring device where basically it would move like uh, you can imagine maybe like a needle or something until it came into contact with a, 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 a surface and then it knew, okay, I know the location of that surface now and then it would touch another point of it and another point and another point. So they could kind of map out a surface. They did that because they need to know exactly how spherical is this mass. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, Because um, it could be like, yeah, a protrusion or something that causes some, it's not spherical, you can't treat it like a nice point charge. Or maybe there's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm also imagining they need to take into account like tidal forces because it's not a point charge, like there is some spatial dimensions to it. Yeah. I don't know if there's like that type of gravity also going on. Probably a little bit. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that is that is one of the things they have to take into account. You know, they they also like uh, have to go through and finally measure the mass of everything, which includes like the glue that they had to use to stick parts <laughs> together. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, they're they're taking into account so many things and being like so precise. Um, and at the end of it, you're still not like you could t- do all of that as best as possible, but. One thing you can't do is shield gravity, mm-hmm. right? We don't have a way to do that. Um, I'm looking forward to the day when we do. But uh, so, for instance, like I just said, the force between two people standing uh, two meters apart is a million times stronger than the force that they were trying to measure. Right. So, having a person in the room would affect their like two someone standing two and a half meters away was roughly the same. Uh, amount of force on their test mass as the the ball the other mm-hmm. the source mass was so that you know, no one could be in the room mm-hmm. they they also had to worry about a tram that was 50 meters away <laughs> yeah that would cause enough force to make things happen and or just people walking around with vibrations and stuff so like yeah. to eliminate all this they measured it over winter break mm-hmm. and they did all their runs between like midnight and 5 a.m. Mm-hmm to like counter all these things. So they do all of this. And then just to let you know, the the way that their measurement works is it isn't, uh, they still use the laser in the mirror, but uh, they did this process. I think it's called heterodyning, but I'm not hundred percent. But what they did is they actually took uh, their uh, source mass, which is the one not hanging. And they, they moved it back and forth at a frequency that was, much larger than the resonant frequency of the pendulum, the torsion pendulum. And that would cause uh, the uh, torsion pendulum to slightly oscillate at a particular frequency. And then they did kind of this convolution Fourier transform thing on the the time series to get like a force spectrum. So basically like, you know, a power spectrum, but with force instead. Um, And... Uh, they they could see a spike at the the frequency in which they were driving it at was the response of the torsion pendulum. Hmm. Oh, you just reminded me. Yeah, I think I described it a little bit wrong. Where I said in my head, I was imagining it deflects, and then you go look at how far it deflects. And in my head, it was like, oh, the the laser is is just stationary at that deflected point. But you're right. It's a harmonic oscillator. It oscillates back and forth around the point before you added the masses that caused the torsion. I forgot that. So yeah, that makes sense. Then I get the Q factor now. And yeah, the the torsion is like a harmonic oscillator spring, but it's just a wired twisting. Like you've probably done it where you like wound up a pencil and a I don't know shoelace or something like that. Let it go. It would just like unwind and then kind of wind back up the other direction. Oscillates yeah. back and forth. Yeah. Um, but no, you weren't, you weren't incorrect in your first, uh, what you said in the first place either. And you weren't incorrect with what you just said. There's actually like quite a few ways to use this apparatus to measure G in the first place. Mm. Um, one is by waiting for it to come to a, a steady state where it's only pointing roughly at one spot on the wall after it's come to equilibrium. Um, but it's not as accurate to do it that way. What they tend to do is measure uh, its acceleration. And from mm-hmm. the acceleration, they can pull out G. Got it. Okay. Um, but so, okay, this group, I just told you kind of every detail that they took into account, everything that they did, they were able to detect this force between two 90 milligram gold BBs, uh, which is astounding. And then they measured G. 
<laughs> and what did they get for G? <laughs> uh, I don't remember the exact value, but it was 9% different than what we ha- say the accepted value of G is. Oh, <laughs> like just completely shifted, not like the uncertainty's off, but like the number itself is different. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah the number itself is just different. Um, and so that's that whole thing is what got me down this little rabbit hole of like, mm-hmm. wait, why is it, seems like they did a real good job. Why is it so different? Um, and they kind of talk about it in the paper. They say, you know, I, uh, there's all of these factors that can be contributing to systematic error mm-hmm. um, in our measurement or systematic uncertainties in our measurement. Um, and we don't have a way of accounting for them. These are just guesses. So we can't really say, we, we, we couldn't factor those in mathematically and then recalculate, gee, this is just what we measured and we think it's wrong because of this. Um, and, uh, but so that, that led me to be like, wow, they're, they're so far off. Like, I think we, the, the one that we have at UCSB students often get better than that. <laughs> um, I mean, they're, it's much larger masses that they're dealing with. Um, yeah. so the forces are a lot bigger, but, uh, so that, that kind of surprised me. So I started looking into like, oh, well, what is G? How do we know what it is? And that led me to, to the, the, "Quote unquote controversy behind it," um, and so go ahead. Are they right? <laughs> uh, well, it, it's it's unknown is the answer. Uh, probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, is is would be what I would say. But the controversy is here. Okay, all right. So now I'm going to give you another plot. I just sent you two new pictures. Uh, they're both from this this paper that talks about the measurement of G that was uh, led by. Uh, Chao Zhu, um, et al. Um, and uh, they they measured G themselves, two different methods, and then also kind of talk about the history of it all in this paper um, uh, of it. But so uh, the two things I want to point out is that first uh, plot I sent to you is it's a plot of all, a lot of the main measurements of big G. Mm-hmm. Since 2000, and uh, you'll notice that um, that so I what what is the accepted value right now? They don't actually show it on this plot, so I'd have to look it up because uh, because it, it actually 6. matters. Six point well. six seven four. Okay, that's six point yeah six seven four. So you can see that that's a nice uh, point on this uh, plot. Mm-hmm. Or you know it's labeled there, and you can see that you the plot has a lot of points which indicate the the average measurement that they made you know because they made a bunch of measurements of this, mm-hmm. and then there's error bars on all the measurements, mm-hmm. and that's with what the window is that they say in which they think the measurement is. So maybe I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about that more. Maybe maybe um, if if you want to chime in there, um, but. The thing to highlight in this plot is, you know, it's okay, co-data, which is like kind of uh, the best data we have for all of the um, the fundamental constants, says mm-hmm. it's 6.674 times 10 to the minus 11. None of those really fall on that line. Yeah. And some of them even fall outside of that line with error, with an error window that doesn't ever even cross that. Yeah, the co-data... Recommended value is six point six seven four three zero, and the three zero is uncertain, up to plus or minus fifteen, if that makes sense. So six point yeah. six seven four one five up to six point six seven four four five, I think is what you could say. So six seven four three, six seven four. Three. Yeah, they all seem in that plot. They kind of hover around that. They're, that's definitely where most of them are. Yeah, is is just above six point six seven four. But you can see though that there are also you know there's a few that are at like six point six seven two. Yeah, uh, no, totally. There's yeah some then, at six point six seven five eight maybe mm-hmm, six mm-hmm. there. Uh, and then the the other thing is that. A, even the ones that are close, their error bars don't don't overlap. Not necessarily. Yeah, there's yeah a few that don't. So this is kind of this is the controversy: is that 
we have measured G so many times and we've said, we think we know G mm-hmm. to this precision, but it's impossible for all of these people to be right. 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 Um, uh, and so, okay, we'll, maybe we'll loop back slightly here in a sec. Um, but uh, the other small table to look at is this is uh, all of the the other image I sent um, is all of the codata values of different uh, years. Of, yeah, for G over the years. And the interesting thing to look at for me is just the um, relative uncertainty on the right mm-hmm. in parts <laughs> per million. So right. you notice it it kind of goes up and down quite a bit, right? right? <laughs> Yeah. Um, so in the in the seventies, it was six hundred parts per million was the uncertainty, and then it went down to one hundred and twenty eight parts per million, and then in nineteen ninety eight, it skyrocketed to fifteen hundred parts per yep. million, <laughs> but then it went back down to one hundred and fifty, one hundred, one hundred and twenty, and now it's forty seven parts per million. Yeah, I think the nineteen ninety eight one is because they kind of had a bit of a crisis where they had a few people make measurements that were just drastically different. So Codata kind of looks at a lot of people's measurements and tries to parse together, like how to weight them to be okay. What is the right actual value? Um, and I think they had some that were quite different uh, around nineteen ninety eight, and they ended mm-hmm. up realizing some of those were a mistake, and that's kind of why it skyrocketed and went up. But like, it's they they, they change it a lot. Is my point is because they they're they don't know because mm-hmm. because of this reason that that people make these measurements and they don't agree and they 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 don't even overlap. Um, right. So, I just sent you uh, an image of the same thing. I think plotted as a function of time. Yeah. Those are the recommended values of G since 1900 with their uncertainties. And yeah, some of them don't overlap. Their uncertainties yeah. are off from other years' data. Especially the the later ones, like the post two thousand ones too. Like mm-hmm. the the ones pre two thousand. but they're different from each other. Yeah. So what's G? It changes every year. <laughs> yeah, pretty like much time, every time every four years. We solved it. We just need um, to measure every year, and we get a new value. We now have a time dependent function of G. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and I think the other thing to highlight here is it's you know I described one method that this group at, uh, Vienna did to measure G. Mm-hmm. Um, a With lot of BBs. people still. Yeah, a lot of people still use uh, the torsion pendulum. Usually not with BBs. Usually mm-hmm. heavier things than that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that the Vienna's goal was to measure G. I think they were just trying to measure the smallest gravitational force, um, but or detect a gravitational, a tiny gravitational force. But there's all these other methods that people have done um, to kind of uh, summarize a couple of them. One is a simple pendulum. So you just hang hang a bob, mm-hmm. right? And you bring another mass next to it, and that's going to cause some small deflection of the pendulum towards the mass that you brought close to it. And so, if you can measure the gap between the two, you can then figure out what G is. And uh, this is done using Fabry Perot interferometers. So, they put two mirrors, one on the test mass, one on the source mass, mm-hmm. shine a laser or a microwave in between the two. And measure that allows you to very precisely measure the the gap between the two objects. Um, one that I, I liked a lot is uh, cold atom interferometry. Um, so basically, uh, you trap a bunch of atoms that are very very cold, so they all kind of have the same quantum state, and you kick them with some light, and that causes them to. Uh, uh, move upwards or stay stationary, um, and the ones that that move upwards get there's a mass above them, so they kind of get maybe pulled by that mass a little bit, and then you kick them again, and they all recombine, and you measure uh, uh, some quantum state again, and that 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 kind of that's a very rough <laughs> overview of ten second overview of atom interferometry, so don't quote <laughs> any of that. But from all that information, though, they can also measure G based on kind of the, the arc of the, um, the the cloud of atoms as it went up and came back down when it got near a, a mass, a test mm-hmm. mass. Um, so, you know, I, I said quantum and, and I yeah. atom interferometry. And so it all sounds like, ooh, precise, like mm-hmm. this, you know, high tech at least. Uh, it's actually one of the least precise methods right now, but <laughs> very different if you see it's um, lens 14 is what it's labeled as on that. Um, 
one in that chart. Yeah. Um, and you have, uh, uh, Oh yeah. yeah super so, low and big air bars. It's the yeah. lowest, it's the lowest one, lowest number yeah. for G, but it also has very large air bars, but they're yeah. out. They're still the accepted value is outside of those air bars. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, Oh, and there's this beam balance, which I don't quite, it's basically kind of like a watt balance, which is what we use to define um, Planck's constant now, I believe. Um, mm. uh, but it's a very fine balance. That's another uh, method. So they we've tried measuring G with a bunch of different methods, and we've said we 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 know it to this precision, but then a lot of these just don't agree with each other. So we have a lot of systematic error somewhere in these measurements. Um, and we just don't know really what what G is. That's kind of the whole thing is what we don't know. And the the nice part, the the kind of the, the, the thing I wanted one of the things I want to talk about is like this is such an interesting and easy to understand uh, from a high level like process of science, you know? Mm-hmm. Like like this is people measuring a constant. Uh, and we don't know what it is, and we're all trying to decide what it is. Like, like I've been thinking back to like teaching when you like a lot of times you measure little g, you know, nine point eight one meters per second squared. And when you do that in a classroom, all a lot of the time students will say, "Is this right? Did I do it right? Is this the right value?" Like they have a thing that they want to compare against, and you don't find that too often in the lab in, in at least the educational side of things that that isn't the case, that there is not something you can compare your answer to that mm-hmm. is accepted and known better than you can do it yourself. And not that in the, in a educational environment, students can do measure G better than how these people have, but it it's, it's truly like a, a, a actual process of science where if someone says, what is G? The right answer is like, we, we don't have a great idea. We have a a rough idea Mm -hmm. and you can actually like see the process of people making measurements and arguing about which method is better and what is more true or not true. And you know, uh, it's, 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 and it's not something like uh, the fine structure constant or, uh, uh, you know, the G factor or whatever, the mass of an electron. It's such a like tangible, at least to me, it is like a tangible thing. Right. That, How strong is gravity? It's like pretty straightforward. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I just think it's an incredibly like cool, small subfield of sciences is, hey, we don't know what this value is and we're still trying to figure it out and mm-hmm. it's active and it's live and you can watch people try to do it. Right. Yeah. And I think. Uh, to the education point, we teach in class, we teach in like lab to compare to the accepted value, but we don't know what that value is. Like there are accepted values, but as we've seen, as we've seen, it changes over time. Different years, you have different accepted values. And yeah, some of these experiments, like the cold atom interferometry, like their number's not right. Like you would say <laughs> it's wrong, but they're just honest. They're like, yeah, we did this experiment. Here's what we got, you know. Don't know what it means. Could be interesting, could be not interesting, but here's what we did, here's how we did it, and here's the value we got. We're publishing. And so yeah. it's not like in a lab class in college where you get a number and it's off and you're like, well, I did something wrong, let me go back and fix things. Like maybe, but if you understand it well enough, as these people do, they're confident in saying, in this experiment, this is what we got. Who knows, maybe they found new physics and it's worth just reporting what they got and how they got it. I think yeah. that's valuable. Yeah, exactly. It, and and you know, it's it's a good it, it's really a good example of how science should be done, right? You, mm-hmm. you you don't want to actually go back and say, "Oh, we didn't get the value of G that Codata says we should yeah. get for G." Like let's So let's, let's not publish. Let's, yeah, or let's tweak right. till we like well, get yeah. there. There's there's also the people who, you know, 
I, they were honest, but it's always the thing to point out and make fun of is the people who got the faster than light neutrinos. And everyone's like, there's no way those neutrinos are going faster than light. And they were honest. They said, we agree. We don't know what's up. Here's our information, though. Here's how we did it. Here's what we got when we did this. Yeah. And, and they were wrong, but at least they were honest about it. They're like, we understand. We're not trying to shake up faster than light physics being possible. We got a weird number in this experiment. Somebody find what we did wrong. And then they found it. So. Um, but yeah, there's always those situations where it's like, we understand this is not matching what we theoretically expect to happen. Yeah. But I guess that's a little bit different because if neutrinos go faster than light, that opens up a huge new realm of physics. Whereas your value for a gravitational constant being off by, you know, a few percent is fine. (laughs) Physics doesn't break necessarily. Yeah. Well, it does, it does have some implications potentially. Um, Uh, oh, one, one small side note I, I wanted to talk about with with that exact statement that you said <laughs> is while I was um, you know kind of googling and looking up YouTube videos and stuff talking about this, um, I stumbled upon this uh, religious video. I didn't realize it was religious till I got <laughs> part of the way into it. I snuck it and then in I, just, I had to see where it went, and um, this this guy I don't know what his religious status was, whether he was like a minister or a priest or just some guy proselytizing. But he he claimed like, okay, God is real because if G, this this G we've been talking about, were was off by uh uh like four it was like forty parts in like a billion or something or like a trillion, like some no, no, no. It would that's no, it was worse than that. He said if it was different by one over ten to the forty, <laughs> then it would it's impossible Thank for God, God exists. It, well, it, yeah, it's impossible. <laughs> he said if it's different by one in ten to the forty, then it's impossible for uh the world to exist, the universe to exist as we know it now. There like he's basically saying if it was different in either direction, if it was you know, one ten to the forty bigger or smaller, the universe couldn't exist. Therefore, the random chance of that happening proves God exists because there's no way that could randomly happen. <clears throat> and the the thing that I love is like, if you listen to this, the the what we just everything we just said, you should easily be able to refute that because we don't know the value <laughs> of G to more than ten to the five, ten to the minus five. You know, like yeah. Like, there's no way you could make that claim because we don't even know what it is. Right. <laughs> we yeah. don't know any, well, except for the exact ones, we don't know any constant out that far. Well, we define so them just, to be that. Yeah. 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 I think, yeah, that falls under the like the bigger principle of uh, like uh, the anthropic principle of like the only reason we're here to even ask what the numbers are for these values is because they are the numbers that make it possible for humans to exist. And for yeah. observers like us to ask those questions, therefore they must be those numbers. But yeah, yeah, you don't need religion for that part. There's there's cosmologists making those arguments and thinking about things in that way, and there's arguments against them too. But yeah, yeah, I just but I loved how how <laughs> you have to be that precise. <laughs> yeah, how well his argument fit into exactly what I was trying to talk about. It's like like yeah, the, we there's no way that that could be true because right. we just don't know. It, mm-hmm. Like, there's the um, not religious, but uh, the counterexample of good science. So I guess an example of bad science, which is basically confirmation bias. Like, if if people only published data where the value for G was close to the accepted value, then we would see that like clearly is not correct. Um, we would see that representative in the data, and that it would slowly over time approach the correct value. And there's an example of that with the I think it's I think it's the charge to mass ratio of an electron, which was the Millikan oil drop experiment. Yep. That there's a lot of controversy there. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing, but in reverse. In that Millikan was this world-renowned physicist who did the experiment and figured out what the charge to mass ratio of an electron is, and published it. And then um, if you look at his number, it's not right, like compared to what we now know it to be. His number that he published was wrong. And people, I think if you plot the accepted value for that ratio over time, it it 
has a trend approaching what we now know it to be. And it starts at Millikan's value. And so over time, people didn't want to contradict Millikan, but they were okay with like a little bit of contradiction. Like they'll inch higher than his value and approach the correct one. But if they did an experiment that was like, maybe it was actually what we now know to be correct, they didn't publish it for fear of contradicting the great Millikan. I yeah. don't know how true that is, but it's usually used as a as evidence of confirmation bias in science and that people don't want to yeah, contradict what's quote unquote known too yeah, much. Which is which is why it's so important that people are publishing all of these yeah, things that are that, that wrong, disagree. but not really wrong. Yeah. Quote unquote wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because you, you know, who knows? Maybe we have some Milliken level confirmation bias with some of these values of G. And you know, that's mm-hmm. why they're they're there and they're it's you know i mean if you look at the plot that you sent me you can definitely see there is a little bit of a trend uh, towards a value yeah Um, but then yeah it fluctuates though more modern times it does fluctuate but yeah it started low and then it's increasing over time but yeah the the air bars were just massive in the early measurements (laughs) yeah which is also really good like yeah, yeah you you know and i think one one i want to say make one brief statement about Error bars, I guess, mm-hmm. or uh, better yet, I like to call it uh, uncertainty. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't like the term error. Um, <laughs> uh, shout out to uh, um, what? What is uh, from SRJC? The the Linda. Oh, Linda. Yeah, yeah. She uh, she's the one that got, turned me off of using the term error. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll we'll post these plots, and yep. when you look at them, the Error bar typically is rough. It's, it's usually one or two standard deviations. But I think the the standard is. <laughs> I try not to use the word standard. The, <laughs> the standard though is one standard deviation. So what they're saying is, there's a dot in the center that says we think this is the best guess at the value, <laughs> but it could fall. There's a 68 percent chance that it falls anywhere in this range. Right. And there, there's a 32 percent chance it falls. Yeah. Outside of that, that range, basically. Um, yeah, like if you repeated the experiment over and over and over again, sixty-eight percent of the time it should fall within those bars. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so when you have two that are uh, two measurements where the center points are very far away from each other, and the error bars don't overlap, mm-hmm. it's pretty much saying that these two. Measurements are not compatible with each other. There's right. almost no chance that they they would ever agree on what the real value is. Mm-hmm. That's um, I used to ask my students this when um, they did the the Higgs mass measurement. They released the data and said, "Here's our the two experiments that measured the mass of the Higgs particle." Um, they released them with the uncertainties, and so I'd ask my students, "I'm like, do they agree? They're acting like they agree, but..." Th- do they? Because the numbers aren't the same and the uncertainties are different. But the the air bars, uh, sorry, the uncertainty ranges, <laughs> uh, they do overlap. So that's good. But the the centers, the points themselves, aren't necessarily in the range from each other's experiment, which is interesting. But yeah, they're just like, yep, that's what it is. <laughs> but is it? <laughs> Two people got different numbers, but I guess it's fine. But I know, I know why it's fine. Um, but what uh, a good example. Currently, that's in the news right now in physics is the other or another G value um, yep. from the G minus two experiment of muons. And theory comes up with a number in uncertainty, and then experiment comes up with a number in uncertainty, and they do not match. And they fall outside each other's air bars, and they're like, "What's going on, guys?" So that's the situation where there is new physics, and it is a disagreement. Um, yeah, and another example of a G, but lowercase this time. Yeah. <laughs> Which maybe we can do a whole uh, episode on that, but I, it ties in with talking about the published values with their uncertainties and what is and not within the range, and is that new physics or is it just a weird consequence of the experiment? And yeah, it seems like people aren't thinking new physics when they publish a G value that's different. They seem to be leaning towards like eh, it's just really hard to measure this thing. Yeah, it, it's it's it is that there is. Some small potential implication for uh, new physics. Uh, I think I've heard it kind of shows up in in two ways. Uh, one is uh, it is theorized that it could be actually changing with time slightly. You know, as, as that's a potential <laughs> hypothesis. Not that anyone's like 
and that, advocating that that's 100% the right answer. That's, that's not to say like the 1973 experiment is different because it was in the past by like 50 years. But that's that's not that scale of change with time. It's like over the like, yeah, like um, yeah, cosmological time scale. <laughs> like we're talking yeah, and, billions no, of years where there's yeah. A, but a if you, if we could if we could measure it precisely enough though, you could right, see then it. We, we, we would be able to see it change over 50 years or something mm-hmm. if it was precise enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess one other potential way that it can factor in is kind of into uh, dark matter and how like. Mm-hmm. It, we explain the rotation of gravities or of galaxies mm-hmm. um, sort of thing. I didn't really look into that side of things too much, mm-hmm. but um, uh, I guess like uh, it, it, it factors into uh, Mond theory, which is modified Newtonian dynamics, um, which is a, another explanation for the, the galaxies spinning at a, at a constant rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just um, jumped down to the bottom of the gravitational constant wiki page for values, and it it talks about the I think the new experiment you were talking about, and it says it's a difference of two point seven sigma between the two results. Um, basically, their value is different than the accepted value two point seven sigma, and so new physics, quote unquote, is usually requires. Um, do you know what it is? I think it's five sigma. Five sigma. Yeah. yeah. So we're not there yet for new physics, but um, two point seven. Yeah, and I th- I think um, oh wait wait sorry you're talking about uh, little g no <clears throat> excuse me big oh. g big g oh the, the, this one here yeah uh, yeah um, yeah and I, I think even if you did do that measurement at this point in times if you say it was uh, you know um, five sigma difference it wouldn't necessarily indicate new physics still yet because this is just such a Hard thing mm-hmm. to if, if you know ten other people performed you know someone else performed your experiment and ten other people performed different experiments and they all kind of measured it um, yeah yeah uh, and they got values closer to that then maybe we'd be there but um, it's just science is a process mm-hmm. it's it's it's, it's a, a breathing thing it's a living thing mm-hmm. one other like th- interesting thing here too is that all these different types of experiment experiments that all Measure G to be different values uh, with different um, error bars on them that don't uh, are mutually exclusive is a good indicator too for systematic uncertainty or error mm-hmm. um, in in the measurement. So basically, that's that's just saying that there's something unaccounted for that is pushing the value consistently in one direction or the yeah. other. Whereas like the the uncertainty bars uh, that we were Mentioning earlier, are is is more saying that there's random, mm-hmm. uh, random fluctuations in the measurement that we can't get any more precise than than this, and it could go kind of any anywhere if you were to make a measurement in this range. Yep, the small uncertainty means you're very precisely knowing your value, but it's totally possible to be precisely wrong. But you're precise about it, but you're you're still wrong. That's the the being wrong part, the systematic shift of everything just being off, even though it's small uncertainty. You're wrong, or just different. Um, one the Cavendish experiment, just something jumped out at me when reading about that, where there was um, it improved upon other methods, and one of them was the Peruvian method for measuring. <laughs> the force of gravity. I was like, what the hell is that? Why is it just like given this title, the Peruvian method? Um, apparently, there was an expedition to Peru and Ecuador in the 1700s where they measured the period of a pendulum and checked it as they uh, rose in altitude climbing a mountain. And so <laughs> they measured the change of the period of the pendulum as a function of height, which is the Peruvian method for getting G. <laughs> I thought that was yeah. interesting. Yeah, that's another, that's another method where... Uh, they they at at the time they didn't actually measure G. They measured yeah, the, the density. density of the Earth. Mm-hmm. They were very concerned with the density of the Earth yeah. in the seventeen hundreds, uh, early eighteen hundreds, apparently. Yeah, um, <laughs> and yeah, so you can back out though what G is from that measurement. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I just kind of wanted to highlight this controversy, put it on people's radar, and let them you know be able to watch science in action over the next yeah. you know twenty years. And if you're going through college and taking a lab class where you do the Cavendish experiment or you do any experiment to find G, I think we did like not Cavendish, but just other experiments to calculate G. 
um, and you're asked like, oh, compare it to the expected value. And you're like, no, that's not known. <laughs> pick, yeah. Take your pick. I got lots of them. So maybe I'm right. <laughs> maybe yeah, it's 8 exactly. point something times 10 to the minus 11. Who knows? Probably It's probably not that. No, I don't think it is. But I, yeah, I really want to use this um, as an example for our students to really mm-hmm. uh, highlight that you know when the thing that we're trying to teach you as a physicist is not to measure g really to the right number. Mm-hmm. It's that we want you to make a measurement and be able to justify the value of that measurement, or or not justify it. Say this is why it's wrong, but whatever you've measured, be able to explain why. It is the what it is. Right. Yeah, I remember telling you a story of something I read a long time ago where they did some people were doing experiments where they they had their, you know, GUI, the graphical user interface of whatever thing they were building, the experiment that they were running, and they uh-huh. covered up on the screen where the actual number that they were measuring is. So basically what the dot is in the middle of your uncertainty. They covered it up because they wanted to set up the entire experiment, minimizing all the uncertainty without being biased by saying, Well, let's get this number closer to what we know it should be. Maybe they're measuring the the charge of an electron or something. So they they covered it up and they just kept doing the experiment, checking every other possible number without knowing what the result of their experiment was because the other things they were checking was the uncertainties. And so they're trying to get that as low as possible without being pushed to making changes in the experiment to get the number closer to what they know it should be. And then at the end, once they got the uncertainty as low as possible, they're like, okay, we're very confident in this experiment. Then they removed the the cover and they got to see what their answer was, and it was pretty close. So yeah, I think that's a good way to think about science, is just get the uncertainty, know what you're doing, and how to represent your data, and then at the end, the answer comes out. And you can be confident in, in that answer. Yeah, and if if your answer disagrees with mm-hmm. other people, then you have to decide, did we make a mistake, or did other people make a mistake? Right. And how can we check and see and figure that out mm-hmm. and that, that's really the that's the hard part of science yeah yeah and that's what this um the g minus two thing that's going on they they did they they knew there was a discrepancy and then they did a different experiment and they're like okay so let's see what it comes out to be and they're like oh no it's still agreeing with the thing we thought was wrong <laughs> yeah so yeah they're like i guess theory is wrong because our experiments are pretty consistent so we got some new physics to explore because things are outside of the expected theoretical values. Well, cool. I'm, uh, yeah, I wonder if they're going to do some gravitational wave thing and pull out G that way. I don't know why. It just feels correct to do that experiment, but I don't, I don't know what it is. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe I those, don't know much. Yeah, those, those um, gravitational waves are just, yeah, too big. I don't know, too small. I, I don't know what the problem would be, but yeah. I think uh, what might be the next kind of, Way people start doing this. Well, I think there's going to be more of the atom interferometry um, mm. method going on because it's 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 not terribly hard. I don't think once you have an atom interferometer, it's not hard to set up this measurement if you wanted. Um, but I think uh, one one route that some experiments are going to start going in is actually uh, measuring G in space. Mm. Um, that makes sense because we're able to kind of send people to space a little more easily now uh, mm-hmm. thanks to like SpaceX and Blue Origin and Virgin and stuff mm-hmm. um, and I know that there's been some proposed experiments that need to be done in space so that might be kind of the the next um, way and it's oh and I guess one one small thing uh, to mention of why 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 do we care like what the value of G is mm-hmm. Um I think it was Planck who proposed this, but you can actually define all of your units, um, like I think length, time, and mass, uh, using the fundamental constants. But I think it's to get time, I I think, you need G. Hmm. Um, And you can't actually have this kind of, you know, he was trying to set up this very fundamental um, units method that you you just can't do unless you know G, basically, um, was one reason why it could be a useful thing to know. I like the um, kind of end of the Wikipedia page. It, it just reminds me of grading lab reports. <laughs> Suggested relation with other constants. And this is, there is a good approximate theory of everything relation between the gravitational constant and Planck's constant. 
And then the the Wikipedia editors come in and say, by whom? You're needed. <laughs> like, what's the uh-huh. source? Like, who's saying this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, it reminds me of grading. Like, you can't just make a big claim and not cite anything. <laughs> like, who's saying that? <laughs> that whole structure, or that whole um, section in that Wikipedia page is interesting. It's like, well, citation, it's needed, is citation needed, citation needed, citation <laughs> needed. Just these wild claims of how G connects to things. Yep. Um, so have fun measuring big G and add it to the pile of our universal constants. I like this. We've gone through this kind of rhythm of you come up with the topic and we record it and I don't know what it is. I just show up and then I'll come up with the topic and record it and you don't know what it is. You just show up. Yeah. It's kind of like today was a Zach day. So thanks for bringing us the, the gravitational constant, Zach. <laughs> yeah, I think it, I think it's works out well because it mm-hmm. gives the other person, like you know, you get to be the question asker, right? Type of thing to engage in it, and then, or in this case, you were the question asker. In the other case, I'm the question asker, and then mm-hmm. we also kind of have someone who has a broad idea of how everything's going to go. Right. Yeah, it's a good a good pattern. And yeah, if you all have any suggestions for topics that you like us to cover, um, hit us up in Reddit at r slash the hyperfine or. Instagram at the hyperfine on Instagram. Yeah, please. Uh, I think one one way that we could, you know, if you like this podcast and you want more content, I think one great way to help us uh, outside of you know subscribing and all that is to actually post ideas mm-hmm. um, to that because it's really hard for people so really engrossed in physics to figure out what. Is interesting in physics. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, everyone know, jumped uh, on the mu experiments, and I was like, "Yeah, that's cool." I don't know, not my thing, but I could see how some people would like it, and some people love it. It's like get so excited about it. <laughs> yeah, or you know, but the, the, we had uh, we got one suggestion for uh, you know just explaining how a refrigerator works. Oh yeah, uh, perfect, exactly. And you know that that's that is a, it's a physics topic, and it's uh, it's interesting, but it's just it's for so you know. Uh, for some eggheads like us, I guess we're we're thinking more about G or mm-hmm. or uh, entropy or whatever. Yeah. And sometimes some of those other questions are just a lot more interesting and down to earth mm-hmm. and easy to to think. But we just don't think of them. So yeah. if you have anything like that, please write it to us. Right. Yep. Ask Hyperfine. How about that? <laughs> um, you can find all this information on thehyperfine.com. It's our general source of all links and all connections. And yeah, you can find and listen to stuff there. Find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and everywhere, really, as far as I know. Yeah. And um, you can find me on uh, Twitter at uh, Fizax, which is P H Y Z A K S. Yep. I have to spell it every time. It's not a good physics handle. Huh? <laughs> yeah, not a good Twitter handle to roll off the tongue. Uh, I am like tortilla. Yeah, I just went with two words. Easy to spell, mostly. <laughs> so, um, cool. All right. Well, we will see you all next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>